morning, before we have Lawrence come and speak, we're very excited. I'm very excited to have my friend Mamsa come up, and she's got um, a wonderful testimony and missions update for us. And so if you welcome Mamsa. This is the lady we were praying for who went to India to bring the gospel. She's got a missions update for us this morning. Good morning. Rennie said five minutes, and I said okay because I'm ambitious. <laughs> so uh, for those who don't know me, I, my name is Mamta, and uh, we've been coming to Black Tidings for almost eight years, more than actually nine years. Um, so uh, we're from India, from the southern state of Karnataka, and uh, my husband Denzel, he's from the city of Hubli. So um, we had an opportunity to, um, to, to support a mission in Hubli, and we had asked this pastor that Denzel knew to send us um, a request, to send us a, a mission and a, a proposal so that we could, you know, submit it to uh, our choir and see if it would be funded. And uh, he sent us a request for um, an ambulance because uh, he, he he's the pastor of the Hubli City Assemblies of God Church. And... Um, they work in a very poor community for the most part. So, um, sorry, let me give you a brief overview of what Karnataka is like. The percentage of Christians is only 0 0.01 to 0.02%, and the numbers are decreasing. The state is the least reached state in the country and suffers the most routine persecution. This church has been persecuted a lot. They've been kicked out of three venues because they've been threatened, and the hotel owners and managers do not want to be involved with them because of the potential for violence. Um, they were attacked, they were persecuted, they've been arrested. So they face a lot of persecution, but they still continue to do the work. And the work and the ambulance project that 1027 Mission supported, GTC 1027 Mission supported, um, was for this ambulance that, um, that they use to transport people with HIV. There's, um, for those who don't know, India has the largest number of people living with HIV AIDS. Even though as a percentage, it is still less than Sub-Saharan Africa, and in terms of gross numbers, it is still the most number of people who live with HIV AIDS. But since India's population is a billion, it is still less than 1%. So um, th there's a support group of people with HIV AIDS. It's called the Karnataka Network of Positive People. And this community has been highly stigmatized. They've been evicted from their homes. The kids have been kicked out of school. They're marginalized and isolated beyond belief. So this church was the first church that ever worked with this community. And uh, now there are, there are about 300 members uh, with families, children. Uh, this church and volunteers from this church provide care and practical support to 15 families every month which means food, utilities, um, money for sundries. Church provides for 15 families on a monthly basis. Volunteers provide home-based care. And uh, there's this one story where a couple who was visiting this family knocked on the door and uh, nobody answered, but they, could, they knew that they were inside. So they continued knocking, continued knocking, and finally broke into the home, only to find that the husband, wife, and three young boys were on the verge of drinking poison and committing suicide because they couldn't deal with 
their situation anymore. But praise God, they, they're now born again, and they come to church regularly. So um, they're doing really wonderful work in a community that has been disenfranchised. So, but the thing is, these people who are living with HIV, obvi obviously, they fall acutely ill every now and then. But they don't have anybody who can take them to the hospital, which is about eight miles away. So enter Publicity Assemblies of God, and they've been praying that they, that they can get an ambulance so that they can transport these patients to the hospital for the care they need. And that is where Glad Tidings stepped in. And we're the first outside church that has supported them in something that they need. And um, they have bought this ambulance. As you can see that in the picture, that is Pastor Daniel Sophie and his wife, Bina. And that's me. I went to visit them. And he took me around. And he showed me the ambulance. It's a teeny, teeny, teeny van. It's probably as long as a can wheels in this country. But the streets are so narrow, they're open sewers, and you know, this van has to navigate all these lanes, and you know, it's a shanty town basically. So they bought this van, and uh, they're so grateful to us. They send greetings, they pray for us regularly, and it's a wonderful, wonderful um, church. Um, just, just a, it's, this, not only, this is not just the work they do, they also um, plant churches, even though they, they started in 2001, now 80% of their members are from a non-Christian background. Uh, they have four additional churches in neighboring towns, and they have planted 11 house churches in tribal communities. And this tribal community that they work with, they're gypsies, and they're petty thieves, so they walk into people's, you know, not homes, but yards at night and steal whatever's untethered. <laughs> but whatever's been nailed down to the ground, they sell it and make their money that way. But um, now this is the community. The people who are thieves, they wanted to go back and return the things they stole <laughs> they after they got saved. And now they actually drive a three-wheeled uh, taxi. It's called an auto. That's what they do for a livelihood. And um, a lot of them use that after hours to go into the community and preach the gospel and uh, share the good news. Uh, they also, they're training people to translate the Bible into their own language so that these people know that Jesus is not a foreign God. So they translated a lot of Kannada songs into their local tribal language, and when they played it in church, it was mayhem. Everybody was in tears. There was 20 minutes of chaos because suddenly these people realized that Jesus could speak their language. And it's, it's profound, especially people in India because they see Christianity mainly as a Western religion. So suddenly to hear worship and praise in, in our language, it's amazing. You suddenly realize that, wait, Jesus, you know, transcends all barriers. Um, they also provide uh, daycare for slum-dwelling children. They provide them a midday meal, 365 days a year. They have vocational programs for women and young girls. They distribute literature, do media work. They're also helping with domestic issues in the community, child marriage, domestic violence, alcoholism. They're just doing amazing work within the community. And something he said, he said, we're not just preaching the good news, we're being the good news. And he said, good news plus good works brings about ultimate change. Just good works without the gospel is simply social work. And um, finally, uh, he's asked us to pray for them because they're being persecuted. They were almost beaten up by members of the Hindu fundamentalist 
party. It's called the BJP, and they have a militant wing called the Badrangal. They have stormed into the church. They have, you know, threatened to beat them up. They have friends in high places. The assistant commissioner of police threatened them with violence and threatened Nina that, you know, she'll be locked up if she didn't sign a waiver saying that she was willing to be arrested if she were ever caught sharing the gospel. So they have signed all kinds of these waivers. They're just trying to, you know, live within the community and be the change. You know, they're, they're trying to be the good news. And uh, they've asked us to pray for them. And uh, they send greetings. And they're our partner church now in India. And I was so privileged and thrilled to be there. Thank you. Good morning. Now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. This morning I'm going to read to you, so I'm not expecting to follow anything in your Bibles, just let me read it to you. We're going to be working with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, just seven, 11 verses which deal with the church year where we are now. We are in a certain place in the scheme of things in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. One occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Today, some 2,000 years after these 11 verses were written, we are in a sense reliving the events of that 40-day period from Easter Sunday until the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. For us here in 2014, that day falls on Thursday, May 29th. So May 29th will be Ascension Day. So then today, we are focusing on the events between Easter Sunday and that day, as outlined in this chart, if we put it up on the board now. Okay. I don't know whether you can read it that far back, but this is how it works. You start here, this is uh, Friday. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was in the grave on Saturday, and he arose on Sunday morning, which was Easter Sunday. Now, from Easter Sunday to the day of Pentecost, there are 50 days. But you will notice that from the day that Jesus rose from the grave, that is Easter Sunday, there's a 40-day period up to the day that he ascended into heaven, which we just read about, a 40-day period where he repeatedly appeared and vanished. And there's a bit of a time constraint this morning, so I won't go into all of this, but this is concerns the issue of resurrection, which we'll be covering anyway this morning. So according to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it was during this 40-day period, looking at it again, it was during this 40-day period that Jesus repeatedly appeared alive and gave, quote, many convincing proofs that he was alive. But the problem was that whenever Jesus appeared, appeared to them, he didn't stay with them. He would suddenly appear and relate to them and teach them and suddenly vanish. Again and again at different times, he would unexpectedly appear, speak to his disciples, and then vanish. So we've got this picture of appearing and then vanishing. But it was not that Jesus appeared only to his disciples. For we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5 that on one occasion Jesus appeared to them, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. For me, you see, the nagging question still remains. Why, after appearing alive on Easter Sunday, 
did Jesus not stay with his disciples for those 40 days instead of repeatedly appearing and vanishing? What is the message in this? What does this mean to us as we, in our time, approach Ascension Day on Thursday, May 29? What does it mean to us? William Barclay explains that the story of Jesus appearing and vanishing is part of a story which has no end. You'll see what I'm getting at later. It has no end. You see, Jesus gave us a promise just before he ascended into heaven. He said in Matthew 28, 20, Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What this means, explains Barclay, is that there is an immortality of presence and power. He is still active and alive. So what he's saying is something is still going on. This whole issue of his appearing and vanishing, this whole issue of his presence, it's immortal. He's never left us. He's still here. He's still active and alive, and we're going to look, look at some more of that later. But now back to those 40 days on our chart. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was experienced in very physical ways. Not only was Jesus physically and actively present with his disciples, relating to them and teaching them, but he even went as far as eating food in front of them and even ate food with them. On one occasion, that happened to two of his followers on Easter Sunday morning. You probably remember the story very well. According to Luke 24, 13 through 31, there were two men. These two men were walking along the road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles to the west of Jerusalem. And while they were walking and talking, Jesus himself approached them from behind and began walking with them. And verse 16 tells us simply that they were prevented from recognizing him. How could this be? Why didn't they recognize him? We have to go back to Mark chapter 16, verse 12, where we're told what happened. It's in the Greek very clearly. The Greek literally reads, he was manifested in another form. The word manifest is phanero'o in Greek, which simply means something to this effect. Phanerosis is a manifestation, and a manifestation is when that which is not normally visible becomes visible. And so he became visible to them, to these two men, in another form. He didn't look like Jesus. So then, Jesus, unrecognizable to the two men, was walking with them. And he asked them what they'd been talking about concerning the recent events in Jerusalem. They were astonished and said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in these days? And so the two men began telling him what had happened to Jesus. They told Jesus that, quote, Jesus the Nazarene was a prophet, mighty in, de in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. 
Now notice here that the faith of these two men had been hit so hard that they now described Jesus just as a prophet. Then they explained how the chief priests and their rulers had sentenced Jesus to death and had crucified him. And then they said, but we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Why this emphasis on the third day? You see, the third day was really significant because in Jewish thinking, a person was well and truly dead only after three days. You see, the Jews believed that for three days, the soul of that dead person kept returning to the grave, hoping to return into the body. But after three days, when the color of the, dead, of the face of the dead person changed, the soul of that person quit and went away. This was now the third day the two men explained to Jesus. But they said, but some women had gone to the tomb of Jesus that morning and they found it empty. They found it empty, but Jesus they did not see. This was the story that the two men told Jesus as he walked with them on the road to Emmaus. And now Jesus himself, still unrecognizable to the two men, responded to them as they walked. He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. But by now, they were approaching the village of Emmaus. And the two men urged Jesus to stay the night with them because it was now late in the evening. So Jesus went in to stay with them, and then during supper it happened. Jesus took the bread, broke it, and began giving it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He vanished. In another of his appearances in Luke 24, verse 36 through 43, Jesus suddenly appeared to his disciples right in the midst of them. They were there relating to each other, and suddenly he's in front, right there with them. The Bible tells us, and I quote, they were startled and frightened, wishing thinking that they had seen a ghost, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me, touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had seen this, when he had said this, 
he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. There was another occasion, according to Acts chapter 1, where Jesus was actually eating with his disciples. It actually tells you that in the passage that we read. So then, all of these passages of Scripture are, giving to us, are given to us as proof of the physical reality of the risen Jesus. He was physical. You could touch him. He invited them, touch me, feel me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. So then we can be certain that Jesus was tangibly present. This was no phantom body. His body was tangibly human. When Mary Magdalene came to Jesus' tomb early in the morning and saw him alive in John 20 verse 17, she started clinging, clinging to him. She caught a hold of him and held him. And Jesus had to say to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. John R. W. Stott explains, he says that Jesus thus presented him to their senses. He presented himself to their senses, to their eyes their ears, their hands. But now let's return to the message and meaning of those 40 days after Easter when Jesus repeatedly appeared and vanished. That's where we're focusing on. That's where we are today in our church here. What did the disciples learn from all of this? What was the message to them? What they learned was that even though Jesus was not at times visible to them, it did not mean that he was not with them. He could and did unexpectedly appear. That was the message to them. But for us here today, you and me as we sit here in our time, what's the message for us? The message even today is in reality still the same. We too have to learn that just because Jesus is not physically visible to us, it does not mean that he is not present. You see, he still appears, but in different ways. Every time you see a sick person miraculously healed, you can be sure that Jesus was there active, but not visible. I want to give you an example of what I saw with my own eyes, and which 200 people saw. It was at a, what people might call a meeting, revival-type meeting in South Africa. It was being held in a YMCA hall where there were 200 people present. The man who was, had been preaching and who was praying for the sick was a very well-known South African evangelist who was actually famous in the country. He had performed such incredible miracles in the power of Jesus' name that the government even made available to him an aircraft to fly him around the country to pray for the sick. The amazing thing about him was he was, I think, one of the most humble men I've ever seen. Soft, gentle voice. 
No bombastic bluster. No showing off. Just quietness. And he was up on this platform. And I was standing probably about three paces away from the platform, right in the front there. And a woman had come up who had a problem. She had a little arm and a big arm. And she held them out. He asked her to hold the, her arms out. She was wearing a short-sleeved shirt, a short-sleeved, or at least a sleeveless dress. And when she held her arms out, this is what it looked like. There was a little arm and a big arm. And this evangelist just quietly said to the people, keep your eyes open and let Jesus build your faith. She held out her hands, and the evangelist didn't even touch her. He just held his hands out quietly. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be made whole. And I saw that short arm come forward. It just came forth, four inches. I couldn't see how it stretched. It wasn't like a rubber band. It just came forth. And 200 people gasped. And I rubbed my eyes and looked again. Sure enough, there it was. Now, I'm telling you on the authority of what I saw, Jesus Christ was there, but visible and active in what he was doing. He still also makes his presence known today in visions and dreams. I myself have not seen Jesus in a vision, but my wife Sue has, and I'm going to ask her just to share that with you. Uh, it was in Cleveland, Tennessee in 1974. Uh, it was our first semester at Lee College, and I saw, I saw his eyes looking at me over the rim of a very big cup that filled my whole vision. And his eyes were looking in my eyes, and they were very grave, very serious, and he was, his eyes were asking me a question. And he, he was asking, will you drink this cup? It was so strong, and his eyes were hazel. And I knew it was him. And then it was over. So then, what we are talking about in everything that I'm saying today, the appearing, the vanishing, is the supernatural. We are talking about the power of God. It has nothing to do with human logic. God has made it absolutely clear. My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. He isn't logical. He doesn't operate according to the world's logic. And if you want to experience the power of God at work in your life, then remember this. When you run into difficulty, when you are stressed and troubled, don't turn away from Jesus thinking that you are on your own just because you can't see him. 
Remember what the Apostle Paul learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. He said this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired even of life. He said, I couldn't bear it anymore. I despaired even to be alive. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, our, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, you know every heart, every thought in this building, every anxiety, every agony. We're living in difficult times. There are people in here struggling with all kinds of things. And so I ask, Father, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would draw near to each one who is struggling and remind them, I pray, that you are the God who raises the dead. There is nothing that you cannot do. And so, Father, we submit ourselves to you now as we leave this place, asking that you will help us to realize not alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If there's anybody who needs prayer in any way, you have people who are on the prayer team will come and pray with you. So just feel free to come up if you so need to.